Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our visions of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on because school is now in session. When I wanted to start a podcast, I had no clue what I was doing. And I made so many mistakes along the way that I just wish I knew about earlier. I wish someone told me these things earlier. And so what I've done is I have prepared a completely free resource for everybody. It's called Podcast University. It solves for all of the unknown variables when it comes to starting your show or even taking your show to the next level. I talk about in a very, very concise manner. It's very quick to read what microphones to use, what headphones to use, what software you should use to record your remote interviews, and the microphones that you should use to record in-person interviews as well what software you should use to edit your show, what branding assets you need to take advantage of, where to host your podcast, like how do you get it on Apple and Spotify and everywhere else. I've got it all there for you on Podcast University. Again, completely free, and you can go to jordanparis.com slash P-U to get your show off the ground, take it to the next level, avoid all of the stress of figuring it out on your own. Podcasting has absolutely changed my life, and I know it will do the same for you. Now, one last thing before we get into it today, make sure that you are subscribed to the show, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Everything we do here is to help you, to help you learn so that you can do all that you were created to do so that you can maximize your potential and who you are. As cliche as that sounds, we have interviews with New York Times bestselling authors and really just the most successful people in the world. Every single week, two times a week, we have those interviews. So we don't want you to miss it. Make sure you go do that. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. My guest today is Steve Sims. As the founder of Bluefish, one of the most successful personal concierge services and an expert marketer within the luxury industry, Steve Sims has been quoted in various publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, London's Sunday Times, and many more. A best-selling author with Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Great book, by the way. I listened to it on Audible sought-after consultant and a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard twice. Want to sing with your favorite rock star? Be serenaded by Andrea Bocelli? Walk the red carpet at A-list Oscar parties? Get married in the Vatican? Dive to the wreck of the Titanic? These are just a few highlights of what Steve has provided for his clients. He makes the impossible possible. 
After all, he is called the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. And Steve is here today. We're already getting along so well. We had a tough time starting the show because we were just talking so much. <laughs> He's a great guy. I'm so excited to talk to him. Welcome, Steve. Oh, thanks for having me, pal. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So we were talking off the air, actually, about saying no. How did you get so... You said you're really good at saying no. How'd you get so good? Well, I got really good at saying no because I didn't originally. Um, I think one of the entrepreneur's curses, as we as we touched on, is the fact that we say yes to everything and we accept every challenge. Um, as you get older, which consists of going broke, getting screwed over, getting ripped off, as you learn all of these things that started by you not saying no at the right time, um, hopefully during that, that you realize that, hey, I've got to start saying no more. So my little tip that I shared with you is I hate everything. It makes me sound like a curmudgeon, but everything that comes along to me, I hate it. The second it's put on my desk, I hate it. Um, and then I say to myself, and I actually say it out loud, which makes it sound as even worse, is I will get it out on my desk or I will open up my email or I will listen to the voicemail. And before I do, I'll go, okay, I hate this. Now let's see if you're going to force me to love it. And by saying that verbally, it comes in my ears and then I read it in the right mindset and I can go through it and I can go, well, that's shiny, but I've already said I hate it. And as, as entrepreneurs, we like anything shiny. If a new iPhone comes out tomorrow, that's the exact bloody same as last year's, but it's shiny, you guarantee it's going to bloody sell. People buy, yeah, they always do. Um, and so yeah. I try to, uh, as I've got older, I try to teach myself the magic word no and it has saved me 99% of problems. I've actually been able to see other people that have got in that contract that I was offered and how it's bit them in the ass. And I've gone, Ooh, okay. And um, as the old saying goes, you know, experience comes two seconds after you needed it most. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's saved my skin. So I, as a young entrepreneur, tell yourself you hate everything first and then see if it'll force you to love it. Yeah, it's so funny what you mentioned about the iPhone, like the new iPhones come out every September or whatever it is. Yep. And everyone's like, oh, I got it. Like, got to get it. Got it. And everyone jumps on the bandwagon, like by default, they don't even think about it. They just got to get it. And, uh, you know, I, I had years ago, like four years ago, I had an iPhone 6S. And when it was time to upgrade, two years later, I got another 6S. <laughs> yeah, and I then, did that with the 7. I actually, yeah. I went from the four i think i went from the four to the seven and then i upgraded from the seven to the seven plus i think it's when the plus year came out and i've just upgraded about four months ago to whatever this one is yeah. so um yeah i've learned to uh, but for the first five years it was a case of every september i was in you know and then i just went eh, why am i doing this you know so yeah, yeah you gotta train yourself no, I was like, I I'm not falling for this, you know, but I, and I only got recently the iPhone XS Max in the last three weeks because someone bought it for me. I was not, I did not, it was not my choice. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have gotten it, but it's an, it is an amazing phone. It's, it's the camera is just ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, funny stuff, man. So your business and book is called Blue Fishing. For people who are unaware, why is it called blue fishing? And you refer to blue fishers and why? why? So, um, and it is a phenomenal book. 
Um, we had, and I'll tell you a funny story because you actually you heard the audio version, didn't you? I did. I right. loved listening to you. I've been, you've been in my ears for a, for a long time. I will tell you the story. Remark, make a note to have me tell you the story about how that audio book came up. But I'll tell you about why it's called Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen. So I started, I was a doorman of a club in Hong Kong. And I started throwing parties. And one of the things that I learned from a very early age on was... 99% of your problems can be avoided based on who you let through your door, okay? That, that's, it doesn't matter if you're a construction worker, doesn't matter if you're a doorman, doesn't, mean if, doesn't matter if you're a consultant, whatever. 99% of your problems can be avoided by avoiding the wrong clients. So when we started doing these clubs and we started throwing these parties, I always charged people in advance. All your drink and food was free, but it was $500, okay? It got the right people in the room for a start. Um, The next thing I did was I told you where the party was, but I gave you a password. Now, the password was because I wanted people that were confident and open-minded to having a little bit of fun. So I would tell people where the party was, but I would say, hey, when you turn up at 8 o'clock, go and see the doorman and tell them this. And then we had a series of different passwords. One of them would be name two characters from Sesame Street. Another one was name two of the Teletubbies. Uh, One that really caught people out was name the lion out of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Now, bearing in mind, I started in the early 90s in Hong Kong. We didn't have these smartphones where you could Google these answers in two seconds. So I would say to them, you know, name the lion out of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And one of the ones we used, obviously too many times, was finish this sentence from Dr. Zeus, one fish, two fish, red fish. Okay? So I would have people come up to me and they would go, tinky, winky, po. Or they would say something. Okay? Now, the, the one fish, two fish, red fish, the answer was bluefish. So as people would come to the door, they would whisper, Bluefish, and we'd say, "Oh, go on in, have a good time." We knew that they were up for a joke; they liked having fun. The uh, the the lion, by the way, do you know what his name is? I don't. I have no idea. No, no, no. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's Aslan. Okay, never would have guessed. But here's the fun thing: you would have people come up to you, and they would go, "Oh, I I don't know what it is. Is it Roger?" And we'd be like, of course it's not bloody Roger, but go on it. Because they were willing to have a laugh and they were having a joke, that's all we were looking for. We didn't care if they got the name right. In fact, I would say about 20 people, maybe one people did, you know? But what would happen is you would get the guy behind them, walk forward, and they'd be like, I'm here for the party. Mm. Now, the party may be in a yacht, it may be in a penthouse, it may be in a mansion. It's all bloody going crazy behind you. But me and my mate on the door, we'd be like, there's no party here, mate. You know, you sure you got the right address? And they'd be like, yes, let me in, let me in. There's nothing with the bloody King of England. We'd be like, sorry, mate, not for you. And mm. we'd kick them out. So we stopped the wrong people coming through the front door. All of those other people. And anyone behind those kind of assholes were laughing. And then they would come forward and they'd be like, I heard you say the name's Aslan. And we're like, in you go. So, you know, we that's how it started. And then we got so successful in Asia for throwing these events. And we were throwing them in dungeons, penthouses, yachts. We were just throwing these amazing. And all the time I was doing it, all I was trying to do was build up 
what is quite simply now a database, but at the time it was a Rolodex of really affluent people. I knew that all of my problems could be solved if I knew 200 rich people. So that was my focus at the time. Not on throwing an amazing party, on getting to know 200 rich people. And this was nothing more than my vehicle to be able to do that. What tended to happen as I went on, and, and as we're getting into about 18 months, people started contacting us going, oh, hey, are you that bluefish company? And I remember the first time people started doing that, I'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> and we, we didn't know what they were talking about. It was actually one of my girls that actually said to me, you do know that's what they're calling you. And I'm like, what? And she said, you've used Bluefish a few times as password, and they think you're called Bluefish. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, shit, I forgot. Which is fine, because if you think you think about it, I could have been called Tinky Winky Poe. So <laughs> I was real lucky there. Um, and that's how the whole thing started. So we were like, oh, shit. So we actually launched a company, didn't call it Bluefish. People kept calling us, phoning us up, asking to speak to Bluefish. So we did a name change on that company and we became Bluefish. And then because no one knew where the party was going to be until the last minute, what, and we always brought a surprise in, they didn't know what surprise they were going to get. Oh, because of all of these things, there became this attitude that you had no idea what was going to happen at a Bluefish event. It was just going to be Bluefished. And people suddenly started contacting us going, hey, my boy's birthday was yesterday. I could have just thrown him a cake and balloons, but I bluefished the hell out of it. Or I went to a concert and I bluefished my way backstage. And it just became this attitude of kind of not accepting the standard you were given and how far you could go. <laughs> and it became an adjective. And people started using it as such. And we found that, hang on, there was this. Now, bear in mind, this was not supposed to be a company. This was just a route for me to get in the rich people that then I was going to ask them for a job. But without realizing it, we'd built a tribe. We'd built a community. We'd built an adjective. And people were bluefishers. People that didn't want to settle were bluefishers. And we were then asked to do a book. Actually, we were asked to do a book telling all on all the rich and famous clients that we deal with. And we said to them, if we try and do that, we'd be dead by cocktail hour. Simple. And I'm not over-elaborating, you know. I would be shot. I'd be in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then I did a speech. I think it was at Joe Polish's event. Someone in the audience saw it, knew the author or knew the uh, agency that first offered me the book deal, sent them a link to my speech. And they came back and they said, look, we don't want you to do that book on what you do and who you do it for. We want you to do a book on how you do it. How does a bricklayer from London work with Elon Musk, Richard Branson, and the Pope? You know, we want to know how the bloody hell you managed to do this. That was why the book came out. Wow. So before we get to like how is the how the audiobook came about, I want to go back. First of all, it's like the most genius like doorman uh you know bouncer ever i mean you it's literally like you've created a funnel and an algorithm of sorts for for <laughs> for, for allow you know instead of an algorithm that like determines what posts you see it's an algorithm that determines you know what what people are the best and what 
people they you know you see inside. It's great. It's a it's a great filtering mechanism that you built there, and you know, so not something I would have thought of. That's great, but I don't the, think I thought of it. Um, oh. This is the daft thing. You've only got to know me for three seconds to realize I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I just, I just work on basic principles. And I, I just, it became a, a way of just getting rid of people I didn't want to deal with. I wanted, I wanted the right people rather than the right checkbook. Yeah. And the daft thing is, here's a daft thing. You already know this shit. You see, if, you, if anyone out there has got kids and they're under the age of four, you take them to a playground, and what do they instinctively do? They go and play with kids they like, and they ignore kids they don't. Yeah, that's right. And then what do we do as parents? We go, hey, why aren't you talking to Johnny? Don't like Johnny, he's fat, he smells. And what do we do as parents? We go, don't be rude. Go and be nice to Johnny. And we start to screw up their algorithm. So the bottom line of it is you already have this in you. I was just lucky that I never got it screwed up as I got older. And the bottom line of it is I don't want to work with you. I'm not working with you. Why should I stress and strain to try and change the way I talk, the way I act, the way I am in order to seduce you to become a client? I don't want that effort. I want you to work with me because you know what you get. Simple as that. It also makes my effort in being me a big fat zero. Therefore, I can focus 100% effort on doing what we need to do to work together. So you've been all over the globe. And my question is, how did you end up working in Hong Kong? <laughs> um, I laugh because any minute, any little piece of credibility I, I have with you now is just about to go out the window. Um, I was a bricklayer in London and... Whether you say bricklayer, whether you say Hong Kong, whether you say Pope, Elon, whether or not you name drop any of those, the route of an entrepreneur, the journey of an entrepreneur is identical. We all share the same trait and disease and bloodline. When I was a bricklayer, I realized I didn't fit in. Now, you're an entrepreneur, so I'm sure as shit there's been times where you know you didn't fit in. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, every entrepreneur is the same. We don't fit in. We don't know where we do fit because we haven't found our magic door yet, but we know we don't fit in. And we get classed as, you've got ADD. You can't hold, hold down a job. You've got lack of focus. We haven't got lack of focus. We just haven't got the appropriate thing that engages us to focus on. That's right. So as he... <laughs> as That's a, how I feel in school, man. <laughs> oh, God, I got kids... Trust me, I've got three kids. Don't start me on this shit. I've got three kids that go to school, an antiquated prehistoric process that right. teaches kids how to work for someone else. Yes. And by law, by law, I have to send my kids there. Nothing pisses me off more than that. But that's, thanks for annoying yeah, me. That's um, right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, don't get me started. Um, don't get me started on that. Same thing. But anyway, Do you have kids? I don't know. I'm actually only, I'm 21. 21. Okay. This is your responsibility. And I know a lot of very successful entrepreneurs that do the same. As a entrepreneur with kids, it's your responsibility and liability to take those kids to any business meeting you can, because that's yeah. the best education. I will go on stage. I'll take my kids to sit out front. I will go to uh, business meetings and um, if I can, I'll take my kids. If not, 
they will literally be next to me. I've had meetings like I'm having with you now, and the kids have been sitting on a chair next to me. And then afterwards, I'll interview them to say, how did I do? You know, how was the conversation? Yeah. And you've got to be the one that takes the charge there. So that's what I focus on within that. Um, I have gone. What was the question? Oh, yeah. How'd you end up in Hong Kong? Oh, yeah. and you're so, saying any piece of credibility would go out the window. <laughs> I knew that I didn't fit. And yeah. as a big, ugly biker from East London, I wasn't exactly getting offered the job to kind of like rule the country. Um, my jobs were like fixing motorbikes, working in bars, working on doors, bricklaying. It, it was that kind of numb nuts kind of career that I was being offered. Um, a friend of mine was part of a bank in London and they were doing a mass exodus. They were sending 160 interns to open up a new branch of this bank in Hong Kong. Because it was so many people, I managed to squeeze my way into there with a resume that had better fiction on it than any Harry Potter movie <laughs> and was complete and utter bullshit. I think the only thing that was on there was right was maybe my age and my name. What are some um, of the crazy things that were on there? Oh, God, yeah. It was just ridiculous. You know, I'd been working in the stock market for like 11 years, which would have <laughs> meant that I started when I was four. You know, it was just, it was just ridiculous shit. Um, uh, so I, I put all this rubbish on there thinking it's not going to get me anywhere. It was, it, was a ho- it was a Hail Mary, you know. Maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. And um, this was back in the 90s, and I got the job. And they moved me out to Hong Kong with 160 other people. They put us up in these apartments where we shared the apartments with five other trainees and we were allowed in the apartment for one month and then we had to find our own apartment, actually two months. And um, so I landed on the Saturday, partied with them on the Saturday, partied with them on the Sunday, went to orientation on the Monday and I was fired on the Tuesday. They realized that I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, I had no qualifications but I got the apartment for two months. Yeah, they fired me. Um, and it was a very funny thing because they, they just looked at me and they were like, why did you apply for it? I said, look, I had to try something. And they kind of appreciated the fact that I had tried, but they looked at me and they went, you know, we got to fire you, don't you? And I went, yeah, I know, but I tried. And they said, well, here's the thing. We fired you. We've got to give you a month's salary. So I was like, ah, oh, excellent. And they went, and you can stay in the apartment for two months, but we don't want to see you anywhere near here again. And I was like, all right. So I went back and all the boys in the, uh, in the apartment, they all looked at me like I was a fraud. And I tried explaining to them, look, boys, I was just trying to do something better than I could. Um, you know, as simple as that. I, I, I risked everything to be here. I left my wife, um, who well, thankfully I'm still with, uh, but I left her to try and make a better life. So I, I tried something and it failed. And they walk and and they walk and I look down on me. So what I had to do was I had to stay out every night until eight o'clock in the morning when they would go to work. I would go back and sleep during the day. Yeah, that's what happened. So as I was at a bar one night, just kind of sitting there thinking, I bloody hate this life. What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of it? Um, This lady came up to me that won the bar and she said, look, there's there's some foreigners inside. You kick them out, or we've got to go and get some of our boys, and and you know they'll hurt them. And uh, I went, all right. And she, and I remember the seduction. She said, "We'll pay for your drink." I went, all right. So 
I did that and she employed me that night and I started working on the door in Hong Kong. And that's when I started seeing all of these affluent people. And that's when I started thinking, all right, I want to be them. For me to communicate with them, I've got to bring something to the table. I've got to bring some value. So I started knowing where the best clubs and parties were and recommending it to these people, which meant that they kept coming back to me to ask me because I was like the Google of nightclubs in the early 90s in Hong Kong. And I believe, I still believe now, because again, don't listen to where it was that I was doing it. Listen to what I was doing because you can use it today. Bring value to every relationship and you've got a strong relationship. If there's no value in a relationship, there's no relationship. So for me to get rich people to talk to me, I had to have something they wanted. What was that? Well, it could have been drugs. It could have been something like that. But for me, I chose nightlife because I knew the nightlife because I was a pretty good doorman. I was really good at avoiding a fight, but scary enough if you needed one. Um, so I would know where all the good clubs were. And I'd, I'd stop you at the door and I'd say, look, you know, you, you want to come along to this, buddy. You know, you, you're going to have a good time, but not here tonight. I want to take you to another club. That's just open tonight. Speak to Colin on the door. Tell him Sim sent you. That's where you're going to enjoy tonight. And they would go there. The bar owner that I was working at would complain. And I would say, hey, I'm building loyalty. I'm giving them some trust. I guarantee you they'll come back tomorrow and ask me if that's the best night. And... I didn't know if they were. Again, I was risking it. But they would. They would come back to me the following night and they'd go, is tonight the best night? And I'd be like, actually, it is. In you go. And they would walk in thinking, if, if you've got 10 people together and I said to you, tonight's going to be the best night you're going to have in this bar, think of the mentality you have when you walk into that bar. You know, mm -hmm. if you're all ready for a great time yeah. and everyone else in that bar is ready for a great time, then guess what the odds are you're actually going to have? Pretty it may be the exact same time. So I suddenly started noticing from the front door the psychology of people. Mm. I suddenly started noticing who mingled well. I would say to my doorman, sorry, the owner of the club, I'd say, right, we need these bar staff on tonight, not those, okay? We need these girls and we need these guys in here. And don't play that shit music, play this music. Uh, because I was starting to learn what people wanted. Um, and I, I became party promoter. Then I started throwing my own parties. And then I started charging in advance, you know, so there was no bar tab. Um, you paid 500 bucks, you could drink what you liked. Then I was getting, I was throwing a party for 100 people and 98 of them happened to be the richest people in the area. Then I would go to like the Mercedes dealership and I'd be like, how would you like to circulate we're 98 of the richest people in this area. And they'd be like, hell yeah. And I'd be like, great. For 20 grand, I'm going to allow you to do that. And then my parties were brought to you by Mercedes-Benz, brought to you by Ferrari, brought to you by Cartier. So I was selling people to get in. Nine times out of 10, I was doing it in a yacht, a penthouse, or a restaurant that they wanted the customers in there. So I wasn't paying for location. And then I was charging a brand to actually be the uh, sole presenter of the night. So I was getting paid twice and facing no liability. Hmm. Well, oh, sorry, were you done? Did I interrupt? No, that was it. It was, yeah, it was yeah, one yeah. of those sorry. things that I thought, I thought this will last a couple of weeks, you know? And then I'm like, whoa, I'm on my second month. Well, this is doing pretty well. All of a sudden, I'm getting asked to throw parties all over the world. Monaco, mm -hmm. Stad, Palm Beach, New York. And I'm thinking, 
there's something wrong here. I'm only getting the right people in. I'm turning, I've got a real reputation for turning people away, which kind of attracted more people to me. So I'm thinking to myself, I've probably got about three months left of doing this, but I've got to find a job. I was actually hoping to find a job from some of these rich people I knew without realizing that I was actually inventing what is today's concierge industry. So now, I mean, that's where it all started. And it's much, much more than just parties. So when people ask what you do, though, how do you sum it up? How do you answer that? <laughs> depends, depends where I am and if I like you. Um, yeah. No, seriously. I've told people that um, I work in a gas station. Um, I've told people that I'm a carpet cleaner. Um, it depends on where I am. Um, if I don't like them, I tell them I'm a U-Bend specialist. I actually come along to your house when you've got a blocked toilet and I'm the guy responsible for getting rid of shit. And so I will make these things up. It depends on who I'm talking to. You see, my website doesn't have a phone number. You've got no way of contacting me. If you want to apply to be a member of my concierge side, this isn't my personal site, but my concierge site costs you five grand to apply. And for that, you get my phone number. So most of my clients, 99.9% .9 of my clients have referred to me from existing clients. So if I'm ever in a situation where I am asked to explain what I do, I tell people that uh, I am the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really big checkbooks. <laughs> because it went from party planning to people asking me, well, uh, have you heard of uh, Elton John, Steve? And I'll be like, of course I have. Well, we'd like to learn how to play piano with him or we'd like to meet him or we'd like to go to his Oscar party. All of a sudden, people started coming to me, not with wanting to get into parties, but wanting to go to some of the biggest parties in the world, like the Grammys, the Oscars, the, the Met Gala, the New York Fashion Week, the uh, Palm Beach Polo, the Stard Polo, the Monaco Grand Prix, Cannes Film Festival. And I would find ways to see if I could get them into these events. And then it was people going, hey, I want to go and see the Titanic. Is that possible? I want to go and work out with Navy SEALs. I want to get a guitar lesson by ZZ Top. I want to close down a museum in Florence for dinner and have Andre Bocelli serenade me. You know, I, I became this experiential wish fulfillment guy. And that probably over the last 12 years has really what's been business up. It's gone way beyond parties. It's gone way beyond uh, travel concierge. It's got heavily into the wish fulfillment and experiential. And from that, my personal growth has gone into training people how to deliver triggers, how to deliver emotions through recognizing the art of communication and building relationships. Well, when you have to get in touch with Andrea Bocelli, but you're not necessarily best pals with him, how, like what's the first step? I mean, what's your in? Get someone that does know him to call him. He didn't know me when I contacted him. Um, so what you do is, here's, here's the scoop. If I walk up to you and I say, hey, my name's Steve Sims, and I've sent people down to the Titanic. I've worked with e uh, Elon Musk and John Napoleon. And I, I puke out my resume to you. And, and it's like, turn off. Bingo. You're already gone. Okay. It's, it's, it's obnoxious. It's arrogant. It's marketing. It's promotional. But let me change the scenario. You're in a bar and you've got your best mate next to you. And I walk through the room. We haven't made eye contact, but your best mate nudges you and says, look at that guy over there. That's Steve Sims. He sent people down to the Titanic. He's worked with Elon Musk. He's worked with Richard Mann. 
and pukes out the exact word for word that I just started to with you. Now it's credible. Now it's gospel. Now it's fact. Why? Because of the source it came from. So someone once said to me that no one's ever stepped onto the roof. They've gone up a ladder. So the, the trick is to get people to get you to where you want to go. When I wanted Andrea Bocelli, I didn't know how to get hold of Andrea Bocelli, but I knew someone that knew his, his manager. So I went to that person. I went, make the introduction. He makes the introduction to the manager. So by this way, now I'm a credible source. Now when I get on the phone with the manager, it's a case of, yeah, I heard some of the stuff you did. That's fantastic. I'm like, oh, yeah, I make, I make people's fantasies come true. Forbes called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. But guess what? My next fantasy wants to include you. And then I'll tell them what I want, and then they introduce me. So I get people of power, people of credibility to make the introduction. If I wanted to get a hold of you um, and I didn't know how to do it, then what I would do is I would get someone that I recognized was in your circle to make the phone call so I come in under a credible source. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, when, wasn't on Andrea a surprise? Like, you didn't even tell the guy? Yeah, so that's, that's another thing. So people always ask me, uh, have you ever failed? And no, never failed. It's impossible for me to fail. And the reason it's impossible is because I've never given you what you asked for. So the client asked for an exclusive meal in um, Florence. I actually ended up taking over the Academia Museum that houses Michelangelo's David, set a table of six at the feet in an entire museum, shut down just for this guy. And I promised the client, because the client knew once I'd done it that it was going to be there, because you had to pay for it. Um, but I told the client I would have a local entertainer come in and serenade them while they were eating their, their dinner. And he was like, oh, that's beautiful. It's fantastic. I will see David. I'll have an entire museum to myself. This is very impressive. I didn't tell him that local entertainer was Andrea Bocelli until I physically walked out with Andrea Bocelli on my arm and he started singing. So hmm. I was always able to go above and beyond what he asked for. Amazing, amazing. Well... Here's an interesting, interesting thing. Um, you know, what are people paying you for? Like, are they essentially paying you for favors? And and why are people willing to do things for you if, like, they know you're profiting from it? All right. So that's two questions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the first one I can answer you very easily. Uh, embarrassment. Okay, people pay me to avoid embarrassment of being declined. Because again, bricklayer from London, okay? I go out and I don't care if you say no to me. If you say no to me, only one of two things could have happened. A, I asked the wrong question. B, I asked the wrong person. That's the only two, in my head, that's the only two things. You're giving me a no? Maybe you're not powerful enough to give me a yes. Or maybe I asked you the wrong question to entice you to say yes. So I'll try someone else. But here's the thing. The more powerful you become, if you go and ask for X, Y, Z, the other people will either use that as promotional 
oh, we turned down Brad Pitt from our nightclub. We refused, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger to come in and close down the music. They will either use that for promotion, which makes the uh, person look stupid, okay? Or they will say, hey, um, we'll let you do this. And, and you know, you can owe us a favor in the past, in the future. Do you know the downside? Favors have an interest rate that grows heavier than borrowing money from the mob. Okay? It's ridiculous. What would have cost you two grand last year is costing you five grand this year. So they come to me to get this done. There's an old saying, and you're 21 years old, so I don't want to I, I don't want to <laughs> upset you, but it says you don't pay a prostitute to have sex with you. You have you pay her to go away afterwards. The bottom line of it is that with me, I'm the guy that goes and gets, and I'm the guy that saves you the embarrassment of being denied. Okay? And if you think, you know, you're Elon Musk or or you run a country or you're an official or you're the head of a business, they don't want it around that you're trying to get into these kind of things. Hmm. So I'm I'm um, I'm your middle guard between getting what you want and the humility of not or, or the humility of putting yourself forward for it. I guarantee you, most of the people I deal with are powerful enough to be able to get what they need without coming through me. But they come through me because they are protected. And that's what I have discretion. That's why I said if I did that book, physically I would be in a ditch by five o'clock tonight. Mm-hmm. What role does like communication skills play in what you do? Because, I mean... I'll say for me, an anecdote with me is that, you know, studying communication changed my life. It is the core, the core skill, the core, it is the reason I've been able to do what I've been able to do. It's like the only reason. And I couldn't communicate. I couldn't talk to people just a few short years ago. Have you actively been trying to get better, being a be-, be a better communicator? And is our communication skills at the core of what you do? Communication skills are the only thing I have. Um, my male modeling career, I realized was pretty much doomed. Um, <laughs> but I, I am also shit at small talk. I don't care what you had for dinner last night. I really don't care what you're watching on TV or what you think of the latest Avengers movie. Um, I want to know what makes you tick. So I'm going to say to you, you know, what arouses you and scares the shit out of you at the moment? You know, I want to get into you. I wanted to have, I love going to an event finding one person that I can have an in-depth conversation with on the corner of a bar. You know, I am shit at networking events. I haven't had a business card for like 20 years. Um, You know, someone comes up and goes, hey, I want to talk to you. What's your phone number? Why? What have you got to say that's going to interest me? You know, I want to know that, you know. And some people will go, oh, well, you're rude, and I'll walk off. Other people will turn around and go, oh, it's because of this Great. Now I want to have a conversation with you. Screw the phone number. Let's stand in the corner and have a conversation. So I think communication skills are everything. It doesn't matter what someone says. It matters what they're trying to tell you. It matters what they want. It matters what they desire. It matters what the reason is behind the question. What we verbalize now is usually a shadow of what it is the client or the person actually wants. People want to be impressed. People want to be wowed, and people want to connect. They want to know that you understand them, and they can only know that you understand them by showing them, showing them that you actually understand. You hear what they said, but you know what they want. 
And it's when you do that, that's what breeds loyalty, connection, communication. But it all starts from communication. I had a statistic the other day that pissed me off. It said that the youth, and they gauge that as anyone under 28, spends more a month combined time talking to AI than they do their best friend. And I thought to myself, that can't be right. So I read a little bit further. The amount of times we go, hey, Siri, hey, Alexa, are seconds, okay? Add all those together. You may phone up your best mate that month and speak to him on the phone for maybe an hour. But between those two AIs, you maybe would have spent an hour and a half speaking to AI, jumping in the car, you know, phone Jim. Just these little things are AI. And it's getting more. The amount of times I say to my son, can you text me something? And he goes, yes, dad. And he picks his phone, but he goes, Siri, text dad. I want to go to this. He doesn't type it. He series it. So we're spending, and AI is just coming, just coming. And we're on the forefront of it, basically taking over everything. So it's very scary that that is going to mean that communication skills are going to go the same route as the dodo, which means anyone that focuses on them, pays attention to them, is going to be a world leader. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love to hear that. And you're, I've heard you say a couple of times that a handwritten note beats an email every single time. Every I, single time. Yeah, I agree. And now what, something that you extended it to is like video, you know, just to, you know, send, to take a video of yourself and send it to that person. Why? So for a start, I can't spell for shit. Um, so, but I've never got any spelling wrong in a, in a video. So my grammar's brilliant in a video. So what I do is I can actually pick up my phone, reverse it, click uh, record, and I can go, hey, Jordan, how you doing? We haven't spoken in a couple of weeks, but I really wanted to chat with you. Um, can you tell me the best time that we can get on a call? Or, hey, we haven't got together for a drink. Let's get together for a drink tomorrow night at, two at uh, 10 o'clock. I'll meet you here. All the best. And you push send. Now, there's a few reasons I do that. One, I can record more in a video faster than I can type it. Secondly, whether you text or type, it contains no tonality. You put a smiley face at the end of it, doesn't make it any funnier. It just means no. you put a bloody smiley face there. All right. But you will never misunderstand my excitement, my passion to have drinks with you tomorrow, as shown on that video. Thirdly, which is very important, when I text it to you, my face will suddenly appear on your phone like this because I've sent you a video. I haven't emailed you. Now, here's, here's a question. So, and this is a question for anyone listening as well. You wake up in the morning and you pick up your iPhone, okay? On your emails, you've got 400 emails. On your texts, you've got two texts, okay? What do you answer first? Text. Every single time. The bottom line of it is if I send you an email, if you respond in the next three days, that's acceptable. Yeah. But if you don't if you don't answer a text within the first five hours, that's rude. That's rude. So, <laughs> yeah. So people respond faster with text than they do email. So I can text someone, hey Jimmy, when's the best time to get something done? And they can see my face, they can see I'm excited, they can see I'm passionate, and they will respond quickly. I send that in an email. It's going to get lost with everything else. I may not hear from them for three days. So I got a big question up next then because 
my big thing, and my friends know this and people that have been messaging me on LinkedIn know this or various social channels know this, over the last like, you know, three weeks or so, my thing, Steve, has been voice messages. I just I just tap to record and iPhones make it really, really easy, especially like oh. in text messages to send to someone with another iPhone. Um, and everyone has an iPhone. So pretty much, yeah, I've been sending exclusively voice messages. And uh, I don't know if you do you not have an iPhone, Steve? Oh, yeah, of course. I have oh, the, yeah, okay, uh, the okay. big plusy thing. Oh, yeah, true, true. We were talking about that. Um, but yeah, voice messages have been my thing. And number one. The, the big reason for me, yes, it, it conveys so much more, I think, but it also saves me time. Like, I don't have time to sit there and just type out a text and second guess myself. And like, like I just want to talk. Um, yep. it, do you think, do you think voice messages are, are as effective, probably less effective just because it doesn't have your face in it, but you still think that's a step up? Uh, no, I think it's about 20 steps up. Um, okay. I think the ultimate is a uh, video. Um, I think secondly to video is, is, uh, voice, uh, third to video is text. But the, if you went, if, if you went one to 10, you'd go, the number one is video. The number two is voicemail. The number seven is text and there's nothing in between. So I think there's a massive loss when you go from voice to text, um, but I still think I, I, I think text is faster, but I love voicemails. Do you know one of the other things? Let me give you a little hack and a little a little cheat here. Okay. Please. If I send you an email, I have to go, hey, you know, Jordan, hey Bill, you know, you have to say the name. Okay. But I can do a voicemail, whether it be a voicemail or whether it be a video. And I can go, hey, you know, I wanted to chat. We hadn't spoken for a while, and um, I want to chat with you on a couple of projects i got coming up. When's a good time for us to talk? And I can push send. When you've got a friend in front of you, you don't walk up and you go, hey, Jordan, how are you? Steve Sims. You don't do that, do you? You don't talk to friends like that. You never introduce yourself to a friend. So <laughs> I'm just you, imagining it. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't do it, do you? No. So if you do it, if you do that, I'm gonna. Video, well, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna clown around with a with a friend I see later. Yeah, you should. <laughs> but if you do that video, bear in mind, anyone listening to this, I never said the person's name, and I never said my name. So you straight away look at it as more intimate because there's no need for me to introduce myself. We're already mates. There's no need for me to say your name because we're already mates. That video I can therefore send to three hundred people. Oh, good! That's a hack. It is. Yeah. Well, and I, everyone thinks that getting it just for them. Well, I mean, I've got a, I've got a challenge for people. Go and go and do that. Do a video for someone that re-engage a, a weak tie, someone that you've not talked to for maybe two months or a couple of months or even even years. Check up on them at, at the very least. Send them a voice message, but as Steve is saying, if you send them, if you do a video, I mean, you can you can be much more effective. The students yeah. of Growth Mindset University need to get on that right now. So go send that send that message, send that video, not a text. Yeah, and but, but reengaging loose ties—that's something you do on a regular basis. It sounds it can, like. yeah, that's the point. You can actually you, you can actually just send out 
a, a voice. Uh, one of the things I do is I send out a message like that, a video message, and I'll say, um, hey, we haven't chatted for, for a while. I'm sorry we haven't done it. It's my fault. But this article actually came out two weeks ago um, on the best beaches in the planet or, you know, the number one whiskey bar. And you know I love whiskey, so I'm a giver. I want to tell you where the best whiskey is in the world. I'm going to put the link below so you can see it. Now, it shows that you're staying in touch with the person. It's completely irrelevant, you know, but it's keeping that communication going. If every single time I contact you, I'm trying to sell you an event, a course, a book. So sooner or later, you're like, oh, what's the latest, you know? But if I'm contacting going, hey, we haven't spoken for a while, but I saw this hack. I saw this email. Uh, sorry, I saw this article on the 10 best hacks for an iPhone, and I just thought you should see it because I'm starting to use some of them. Anyway, I wish you all the best. I'll put the link below, okay? So I'm sending it, and you're like, oh, that's nice. And then you get things like, and I've got this. People go, oh, cheers, Steve. And I'm like, who the hell's responding there? Oh, oh yeah, no, I haven't. Okay, good. And I can kind of tick it off that we've kind of stayed in contact. Now, they think I'm being very personal to them, but the bottom line of it is I may be sending it out to 300 people. Yeah, you know, just remembered too, uh, Jordan Harbinger is coming on the show soon. I know you know Jordan as well. He's a tosser. Yeah. <laughs> so when you meet Jordan, you've got to say, Jordan, I spoke to Steve Sims the other day. He says you're a tosser and that uh, he taught you everything you know. Okay, I, I will. I, I scheduled I scheduled very far out, so I actually scheduled him for August. But, but, no, it was, well, but it'll, I'll, I'll it'll make still a be a tosser. Yeah, it'll still be a tosser. So, <laughs> uh, I'll find out what that means. Anyway, um, gosh, what was I, I going to say? Oh, yeah. the uh, Gosh, now I forgot it again. Oh, no. Sorry, what are we I talking about? What are we talking about? Oh, Jordan, Jordan. He refers to that as, you know, instead of just like hitting someone up, you know, with the ask every single time. You know, and, and instead you're 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 re-engaging them with with something that's not selling them, something that's not asking a favor of them. You're just being, you're just engaging them and talking to them and making them your friend and uh, strengthening that relationship. Digging yeah. the well before you're thirsty. Probably my favorite concept. Oh, that's good. That yeah, good. Ever, yeah, that I've ever that I've ever heard before. And he talks about it all the time, and I absolutely love that. So, Steve. Um, you know, I got, I have another question before we wrap up. It's, right. I just, I'm so curious. I have to ask you, I, in your book, I believe you said you have no titles for people who work mm -hmm. in your company. Why? Correct. Um, titles usually make people lazy. So if I turn around and call you a president, you're not going to want to get the cup of coffee. You're not going to want to put the toilet roll in the, in the toilet when you're finished. You, you think all of these things come beneath you. So I believe that we were put on this earth as people. And so, you know, your title is human. And anything that you need to do, especially as an entrepreneur, anything that you need to do is what you do. Any title that you want to assume for that, then, then bloody do it. But if I had to put a business card together and I had to put a title on it, I'd have owner, founder, marketer, cleaner, uh, um, dog feeder. You know, you just have it. How could you put it all on there? So I'm a great believer that as soon as you start putting titles on there, you start boxing yourself in. And I don't understand why anyone would want to box themselves in. Absolutely. love it. So people 
need to get Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. You can get it on Amazon. The link will be in the show notes if you go to jordanparis.com slash podcast and you hit the search icon at the top right of the screen and you look up Steve Sims, the show notes will come right up. The book will be there. And Steve's website, stevedsims.com, will be there. Steve D. Sims on Instagram. And, of course, you've got a good Facebook page as well. And is there anywhere else, Steve, that you'd want to point people to? No, I think that's pretty good. If they're in the States, they can actually do this little hack that I've got. If they if they text the word SIMS, S-I-M-S, to 345345, then it gets my text alerts. And usually my text alerts go out before my newsletter alerts go out. And the text alerts will always let you know of like VIP up and coming events and stuff. So, and they also get um, a cheat sheet from the book complimentary when they do that. So that's texting the word Sims to three, four, five, three, four, five, only on us carriers though. I'm afraid not in Canada or Mexico. Amazing. So, Steve, I have to acknowledge you for being so so unique and, and such a jolly guy. I mean, as soon jolly. as we got a, a jo- <laughs> uh, you're you're a great guy, man. We you know we we hit it off immediately, and I just had I had so much fun today. And you know, I acknowledge you for the work that you do and and showing people. You know, a lot of times, you know, Jim Quick he says, you know, I don't say I don't. I don't say this to impress you. I say this to express to you what's really possible. And you're doing much the same. I mean, you're expressing to people what's really possible. Making, you know, the impossible, you're telling people it's possible. I love it. And I, I you know, communication and, and you know, dirty word, but networking is mm-hmm. really just, I love that kind of stuff. So you're the yeah. man, Steve. No, it's good. Jim Quick say, uh Jim Quick's in, in my top ten uh, in my top ten friends, so I appreciate and love that boy. Yeah, you know I've uh, you know I met him at um, you know we were in uh, in L.A. at uh, Cryo Healthcare and we were in our robes waiting to get in the the, the cryotherapy chamber and uh, yeah I met Steve uh, I met Steve I met Jim and uh, met Jim in, in in my robe in our in our white cryotherapy <laughs> robes like two and a half years ago uh, I. I need to uh, re re-engage him after many years. He probably doesn't remember. You know, no chance he remembers me anymore. But I got to get him on the show <laughs> um, anyway because he's amazing. But anyway, he is. Yeah. Uh, if you, my final question: If you could teach a course, a course of your creation or otherwise, you're teaching this at a university. What would that course be? We talked about a lot of lessons today. Well, you're funny thing is, course. I do. I have SimsDistillery.com. Um, and quite simply, it's uh, 16 chapters on the art of communication. Um, I think absolutely anything you want can or will be downloadable on an app. And eventually, we'll probably have something plugged into the back of our skull where it just gets downloaded directly into our head, just like the Matrix. But I think the only thing that still can't be downloaded is the art of communication and how to build a relationship and how to recognize the ROI on a relationship. So everything about me, everything I preach, everything I teach, every time I speak on stage, the course, again, Sims Distillery, any of these things, it's all about teaching you how to communicate. SimsDistillery.com will be in the show notes as well. Very worthy of learning. Go check that out. Steve Sims, you are the man. Thank you very much. Cheers, pal. Look after yourself.
There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, there are a couple of ways that you can give back. The first is, of course, to leave an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can also take a screenshot of this and share it out on your Instagram story and tag me at j underscore Paris underscore and tag our guest as well. And we will absolutely give you some love. And then, of course, if you want to start your own podcast, a podcast like this or any other podcast that you envision, you can go to jordanparis.com slash pu to get free access to Podcast University. All right. I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn, and grow to give.